Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. How many of you guys stayed up to the late hour of 9 o'clock last night and celebrated New Year's at 9 o'clock? Yeah? Okay. How many of you guys waited up all the way to 12 and heard all the fireworks? You got that? Okay. Not as many in first service. Okay, a lot more nine o'clocks in first service, but we're going to say this. We're going to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. There you go. That's good. Well, we are so glad that you guys could be here this morning. Um, I would like us to, for a moment, uh, take us all back to a very traumatizing moment in fourth and fifth grade. Would you guys do that with me for a moment? Is that okay? If you say no, it's, um, we're still going there. Okay. <laughs> Many of you guys, if you were like me, in about fourth or fifth grade, your parents received a letter. And this, in this letter, it read, we would like to invite your son or daughter to join the band or orchestra. And in that moment, you said, yes, that sounds great. What does that mean? And you show up to class and your instructor would hand you a trombone. They'd hand you a tuba. They'd hand you a flute a violin, a cello, and you sit there and the band director or the orchestra director, they raise their hands, and even though most of your instruments aren't totally put together, the first note sounds, and it sounds like an entire zoo just died. It was an incredible moment, right? Instruments are screeching, kids are crying. It's, it's a, it, everyone's terrible for their first couple weeks, right? Everyone's horrendous at their instrument for the first couple weeks, if not months. And then, all of a sudden, there's that one kid right? You always got that one kid who he either takes private lessons or his dad is the like teacher or that one girl who's just like innately amazing at everything. And you're sitting there next to him and you're like, how did they get all the musical genes? And I still sound like a cat. Like what's, what's going on? And then a next kid gets better. A next kid gets better. Um, for a short time, I was a band director. So I saw this actually happen. And there would be a number of students that would look over and it's like, I'm never going to be I'm not going to be as good as them. I'm not. Oh, go try something else. And they'd, they'd give up. And it's only, for the, it's only for the qualified. It's only for those that are really gifted. Now, if you're like me, and for some of you, you've been a part of either this church or the church family, the body of Christ for a number of years. And you could walk in, and you could look about, or you could hear stories about certain believers, even here in this congregation, and stories about them leading many to Christ. Stories about them discipling many. See them up on stage or in leading small groups, and you could find yourself in a similar place that many fourth and fifth graders find themselves going, I could never do that. Or that will never be my story. Or that's just for the super Christians or just for the superhero leaders. If you're like that, and, and I've found myself there many times, the passage of scripture that we're going to go to here this morning is for you. Because I really believe, and this is our big main point here this morning, that in Christ, the disqualified are qualified to be used by him. In Christ, the disqualified are qualified to be used by him. God wants to use you. God wants to flow through you, use you to be a part of this body and ultimately to change the world for his name. So let's open up now here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we endeavor to find out how. And as soon as you find that chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, would you stand and let's read this together. In 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing. What is viewed as something. So that no man... No may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You believe this is life-changing? Amen. You can take your seats. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, as we hear from it just then, God, and as we continue to hear from it this morning, I pray that it's your words that speak. God, it's your heart that we encounter here this morning. That the voices and the volume of this world will be muted. And that your voice, your word, would be lifted up. God, thank you. We love you and praise things in your name. Amen. To give you a little background of this passage, in, uh, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul had just come from Rome and he had spent some time with the Corinthian believers. They were very young in the faith. Very, very young in the faith. And as he encountered them, he saw that there was divisions within the church. And instead of talking about the stuff up here, he got down to their level and said, we got to go back to the basics. we got to go back to who you are in Jesus, what he has done for you. Because I'm seeing a lot of stuff going on, and I'm really concerned. we got to get back to these basic truths and get those right before we move on. And so he says here in verse 26, Read it with me. It says, brothers and sisters. He's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. And what is he saying? He says, consider your calling. To reflect, take a look. Don't just scroll through your life, but look at your search history. Consider where you've come, where you've been. Don't just telescope your life, Corinthians, but microscope it. Consider who you are in Christ, how you came to know him. Paul was saved from a life of perfection. The Corinthians were being saved out of a life of imperfection. And even here this morning, as we read this passage, I encourage you to reflect, to consider your calling here in 2023. Consider how you came in here today, how your year went. Consider where you are at with Christ. Reflect, consider your calling. Paul continues saying, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Who does God use? Not, not, not. Now, what is he saying? Not many. And this is not to disparage those that did come from that lifestyle. Back in the day, if you were an aristocrat, not aristocrat, you would have been a leader. But those things would have been defined by three things. You would have had money, you would have had influence, power, talent, and you would have come from noble lines. And what is he saying here? There's not many of those people that exist. There are some. God does use them. He saves them out of those maybe uh, situations and uses them for his glory, but not many, not many. Who does he use instead? Who does God use? Read it with me in verse 27. Instead, or in your translation, it might say, but there's a plot twist, a shift in reality. He turns it upside down. Who does he use? He uses the foolish. He uses the weak. He uses the insignificant. People like the Corinthians. God uses people like that. 
Now, as you read that, you're like, great, super good feeling. I just got called weak. Well, if you're like me, you're in good company with the Corinthians. Who are the weak? Who are the foolish? Who are the insignificant? Who are the ones that God uses? Well, let's take a look at that first one. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. The foolish, those are the destitute of learning. No rank, no wealth, power. They're illiterate, dull, moral blockheads, and apparently absurd. Those aren't my words. Someone else said that. People like Isaac, who was a daydreamer. People like Moses, who had a stuttering problem. People like Jeremiah and Timothy, who were both way too young to be used by God. People like David, who though in his past he had an affair. People like Jonah, who ran from God. Foolish people. God uses them. He's saying, man, that sound, one of those people sound a lot like my story. You're in good company. People like the weak. God's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Those with no nobility, no pedigree, no titles, letters after their name, no plaques and degrees on the wall, no possessions, estates, or worldly substance. Those who are sick, sickly, hesitant, afflicted, distressed, oppressed, helpless, imperfect, inefficient, feeble, and without energy. Sounds like January 1st. People like Abraham and Sarah, who were way too old. Leah, who was just rather ordinary. Joseph, who had been abused. Gideon, who was afraid. And Elijah, who struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. Anyone in there? People uses the foolish. Excuse me, God uses the foolish people. He uses the weak. And who else does he use? He uses what is insignificant and despised in the world, what's viewed as nothing to bring to nothing, what is viewed as something. He uses the insignificant. Those are the outcasts of society, not of noble birth, the neglected, the rejected, despised and contemptible, the overlooked, the worthless, the disregarded, the Gentiles, those reckoned to be the filth of the world, what one person said. People like Rahab, the prostitute. People like Naomi, who was just a widow. Job, who went bankrupt. Peter, who was a salty fisherman and denied Jesus multiple times. And Zacchaeus, who was just too small. God uses the foolish, the weak, and the insignificant. See, he uses the disqualified to be qualified for great things in him. This is the story of scripture. This is the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the story of many of us here in this room. This is who God uses. But as I was considering these things, I also thought, how does God use them? How does he go about this process? What does this look like? And to help with that, I thought it might be helpful to use an illustration here this morning. So Josh, would you bring out that awkward illustration? Now, you're about to see something that I guarantee, unless you're unique, has absolutely no value this week. I talked to someone who said, I'm about to burn mine. This in of itself cost maybe $60 for you a month ago, and now it's worthless, right? There's no trees under this tree. There's no trimmings. There's no ornaments. There's no star on the top. There's no candy canes. There's no pictures of your family. No, it's completely worthless, and it's good to be burnt in a burnt pile. Now, as I was considering this, I, I, I uh, was reminded of a text actually I received a couple years ago of someone here in this church. 
And they texted me and they said, hey, hey, Tim, do you still have your Christmas tree? And I was like, yeah. He's like, can I have it? I'm like, okay. It was like a month after Christmas. Sorry, I keep my Christmas trees kind of long, I guess. And I was like, sure, you can have it. Okay, great. Now I don't have to burn it. And little did I know that behind the scenes, um, and I've seen his workshop, he would take trees like this or branches and other things, and he'd use them for a completely different purpose. I got a picture of a couple of them up here. He would burn the wood, and I actually got an ornament he gave me in 2017 of my family. And he'd, the burn, he'd burn the wood, and he'd redeem it for different purposes. He'd use what was completely just trash. You can go to the next one, and it would turn into treasure. Look at that. I think we got one more. Something that all of us would say is junk then becomes something of worth, of great purpose, of great value. Now I, I hold on to this. This is something we celebrate in our, our family. Because in the hands of the carpenter, something that was worthless now is, is very worthy. It's very worthful. You say something that was foolish and weak and insignificant now, now is used for great, great things. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said it like this. We have a treasure in this vessel. We have a treasure in this vessel, this broken vessel. What is that treasure? I have a relationship with the living God who's omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. He's all-knowing, all-present, and he's all-powerful. I'm none of those things. I'm the Christmas tree that's not worth much. I'm the weak, foolish, and insignificant one, but I know the God who isn't. I know you know the God who is far and above more powerful than all. He's the one that takes the things that are broken and that are weak and uses them for his great and mighty purposes. He redeems. But many times what happens is, is we consider that we're the main characters of our story. We think we're the main character when the whole time we're just a little extra. God, eternal past, he's always been there. And then creation happens, Adam and Eve. And then what happens after that? Yeah, we got some flood, we had the fall, flood, and we got Abraham, we got Moses, we got the Old Testament, we got David, and then there was a little intertestinal period. And then all of a sudden, Jesus showed up on the scene, born of a virgin, did incredible things. And then the church age, after he ascends, and then, oh, there's Tim. And then there's the rapture, and then we got the end times, and then we're with Jesus forever and eternity. I'm a little comma. I'm not even a comma. I'm just a little tiny blip. But many times we think we're the main characters. What I encourage you to do here this morning, as we're hearing this message, is this. One man said it like this. Glory in your averageness. Glory and boast in the Lord. Boast in that this is your testimony, that he doesn't use many times the qualified, but the disqualified, and he does great things through them. He is the potter, we're the clay, we're the extras. He's the main character. And so I'd quite simply say this, surrender. Surrender to the process, as he wants to flow and he wants to use you. He wants to do great things through you, the weak, the foolish, the insignificant. Now, as we considered who he uses, how he does this, and we're not going to go very long this morning, I I encourage you also 
to consider this because I think that there are some of us that could come and we could hear this message and go, I get it upstairs. I get that these are the people he uses. I even can see how he uses that. But if I'm honest, I, and I reflect on this last 2022 year, I don't know if I've been used by God. I don't know if I can point to a moment when I saw God do something where I'm looking around and I'm seeing other people being used by God. And pretty soon we find ourselves back in fourth, fifth grade band, right? Comparing ourselves. If you're here today saying, you know what, if I'm honest, I don't feel like I'm being used by God. And when I have something within me, I want to be used by him. I want to see God do great things. I say, first of all, this, you might not know him. See, that might be a kind of a scary thought. No, literally the answer is you might not know him. It's kind of hard to be used by the carpenter, the great master, if you don't know him. And so simply believe. Believe in the gospel. Believe that God intimately is acquainted with all of your ways. That his word says that he thinks about you all the time. He knows your thoughts before you think them. Knows where you're going to go and what you're going to do before you do those things. That he loves you specifically and not by accident, but intimately. And that your sin has separated you from him. That there's a distance between you and him because of your choice, your wrongdoing. And God loves you so much that he did something about that space. And he came here, died, was buried, and rose again for all the sin. And so what do you have to do? Just trust him. Rely on him. Believe in him. And that relationship will never end. Because once you place your belief in him, you're his kid. And you know what God loves to do? He loves to hang out with his kids. He loves to take them on adventures. He loves to use them for his glory. He's not going to leave you alone. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. That's our heavenly father. And so if you're here today and say, you know what? I got to be honest. I don't, I don't know if I've been used by God in this last year. First, simply believe. And we'd love to talk to you about that, to begin that relationship. The second thing is this. You say, you know, I don't know if I could pinpoint or like accurately go, man, I really saw God use my life or flow through me. Well, it could be that you've been distracted. Someone shared an illustration with me one time of, imagine you got a Verbo, which is a rental house, I guess. Okay, you got a rental house down at the Deschutes River. Okay, and you wake up, it's a Saturday morning, and you hear the, the sizzling, there's something sizzling, oh, you can smell it's bacon, and then you hear the, the coffee pot start filling up, you can smell it, right? Can you smell it? I can smell it. Um, all the students in here are like, I don't drink coffee. No, no, they do. I know they do. You go downstairs, and all of a sudden you see this huge bay window, and there's fish jumping everywhere. There's like fish jumping everywhere. There's like trout and salmon and steelhead. It's like, what is going on? You got the best breakfast being made, and you got all these fish jumping, and there's two chairs sitting right there. And one of the chairs is empty. And in the other chair is Jesus sitting right there. And Jesus simply invites you and says, hey, let's, let's spend some time together. Can I share my word with you? But Jesus, I mean, we got the best breakfast here and there's fish jumping everywhere. We got to do that stuff. Yeah, well, I made the fish. Well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, there's so many things we need. I mean, we can do, I mean, we can catch that one, that one, that one. And we can cook them and grill them and we can get so distracted by all the good things, all the work, all the things that we've been called to do, yet we miss out on the thing 
that we were invented for is to know him, to abide in him, to remain in him. Because in those moments when we remain and we abide in him, what happens? We get to know his heart. And then where he wants us to go to be used by him becomes so much clearer rather than us trying to pick it out and try to find it out. He wants to give us marching orders. He wants to give us a good path to lead or to, um, to walk on. But he simply wants us to rest in him, in his presence, rather than try to figure it out. Let me encourage you, if you say, you know what, this last, this last year I've been distracted, accept the invitation to remain in him. Accept that invitation. He just simply wants you to know him. Spend time with him in his word as you read it, as you pray. And then watch God use you. Now, there could be a third person here to say, you know what? I know him. I've been spending time in God's word, but, you know, I'm still just like, I'm not seeing something happen. Pray. Jesus said it like this that you would pray like this, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Everything submits. Everything goes according to Jesus' plan up in heaven. And that my heart would reflect that. That God, in my heart, that I would do your will and that I would submit and surrender to the process and that, God, please, I beg of you, use me this week. And I've prayed that prayer and he's answered it. Many, many times, and I know is the testimony of many of you here this morning. And it's not maybe a big, huge, life-altering, crazy moment, but yet, isn't each answer to prayer an altering moment? I encourage you, believe. If you're here today, say, you know, I don't know God. Second, reflect. Last one is pray. Because I, I, I do believe that many of us can come into this church, or others, and find ourselves comparing saying, I, I, I'm never going to be like that person. I'm never going to be. God doesn't, that's not a thought from God. God wants to use you. He wants to th- flow through the weak, the insignificant, and the foolish and do great and mighty things. Will you let him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the simplicity of the gospel that it alone saves. We complicate things so much. And yet the truths that have saved millions for many years is the truth that we need today. So help us, God, to find ourselves in your presence, believing the gospel, reflecting, considering where we've been at this last year. And God, just to simply give you today, simply give you this week, Uh, We thank you that you do use imperfect vessels, broken vessels for mighty and great purposes. That every single one of us, though the world might call us disqualified, we are qualified to be used by you because it's you that's empowering us. God, thank you so much. We give you this year. We give you our lives. We love you and praise things in your name. Amen.